Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode of the Believe in Steelers podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. We're through 16 weeks of the NFL season. Week 17 is right around the corner. The NBA and college basketball are back. And the college football playoff is also right around the corner. So with all of these sports going on, Ike, there's plenty of bets to make. And really, BetOnline is the place to be. AKA, we never close. That's what I'm going to call BetOnline because they never close. You can bet. Whatever you want to bet, whenever you want to bet, whenever time you want to bet, just make sure y'all bet online. Especially now that it's the holiday season as well, like. So head over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Cue the music. It's time to start the show. Welcome to the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by my guy, two-time Super Bowl champion, 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, number 24, Ike Taylor. Ike, it is Victory Monday, man. It feels good. And Victory Monday when you're AFC North champs, kings of the North. It's been a while, but it feels awfully good. How you doing today, man? I'm good, Mark and Mark. How you doing? How was Christmas? Christmas was good. I'm lucky to get to see, you know, friends, family, and my family safe and healthy. And really, that's that's all that I can ask for. But it's been a little bit overdue with this pandemic, but I'm lucky that I get to be around my family around this time of year. So no complaints on my end. What about you? Man, that's a good thing. Right now, I'm sitting in my mama's kitchen. All the kids still asleep. You know, my, you know, my nieces and nephews, I say, man, they be on club hours, meaning they go to bed three, four, five o'clock in the morning playing these games is just being up and they get up late. And I tell them all the time, like, man, y'all keep getting up past 12 o'clock. The day is already over. And they're like, oh, we ain't got no school. <laughs> we ain't got no school. So really, it really doesn't matter what time we go to bed. So they got a point. I'm just used to getting up early in the morning. Yeah, with that Sunday night football game last night, I, my dad was giving me crap because he's like, oh, aren't you going to watch the game? It's in the snow, Rogers and everything. And I was like, this game's already well in hand. I'm going to go to sleep because I wanted to wake up and record with you this morning. And especially right. to talk Steelers. I mean, you're talking AFC North champs, first time since 2017, and you snap a three-game losing streak. So I was excited to talk to you this morning. Yeah, that, that, that was a good comeback, right? I mean, down 17, didn't look good at all in the first half. Actually, I'm on a Madden. I'm on a Madden-like franchise these guys got me in a group text and they was going in on the Pittsburgh Steelers because they from Pittsburgh. And at the end of the game, I think the last two minutes when Mike Hilton called that interception, we're going to talk about him as well. I told him, man, it's a 60 minute game, not 55, not 47 minutes. You got to, y'all got to understand that y'all should know better. Meaning Pittsburgh Steelers fans should know better. Like Pittsburgh always have a chance. Then I just thought to myself, Mark, Mark, I'm like, I'm always looking at it from a player's perspective. I forget how fans really act, <laughs> and they just act like fans. So, but yeah, shout out to the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
if you want to top it off, whatever you want to say about Pittsburgh, then I'll just follow through with you. But yeah, that was a heck of a win, winning the AFC North division, Kings of the North. I remember those good old days. I think I got a few of them. Yeah, yeah, a few in your career. And it was one of those things <laughs> where, yet again, a tale of two halves, Ike, in the sense that you put yourself down in a 17-point hole. And right. I'm watching this game. And it's just like the way that the Steelers offense had played to this point, are they able to overcome such a large deficit? And you're looking on Twitter, that big Ben's washed and everything. Keep in mind, Philip Rivers is a full year older than Big Ben as well. And we really like the Colts and the style of play that they play. But really, it goes back to what we say on this podcast, Ike. And I know I joke around all the time that I think that you're psychic. But the guy that got the Steelers going in this one, the spark plug, if you will, was Deontay Johnson, the diving touchdown catch with 306 to go in the third quarter, down 24 to 7 that play really sparked the Steelers' offense, and they didn't look back from there. Yeah, tell the two halves. The first half, and we talked about this on our show, too. People, y'all need to start watching our show. I'm telling y'all, it'll be popping. Jonathan Taylor, the running back from the Colts, he kind of got it started from the Colts. Hines, as well, that running game got kind of got it started from the Colts. What I did like about Coach T was his second-half adjustments on defense. He locked up the running game. Phillip Rivers is pretty darn good when it comes down to the play-action pass, when it comes down when he does have a running game. And I've seen that firsthand with LaDainian Thompson. So I understand that part. But once they lock down that running game, once they just completely made the boys pass the ball, you see what that defensive line did. And that's what a defensive line, T.J. White, again, just being unbelievable this year, should be defensive player of the year in my mind, but time will tell. But um, Cam Haywood and two of all them guys, Highsmith and all them guys, they came through. A little guy named Mike Hilton, and we tried to get him in the Pro Bowl, and you was a advocate of Mike Hilton since I kind of told you about him. You've really been on him, and you've been liking him. He came in through the clutch and got him an interception. So that's what I like about the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. They wind up making that second-half adjustment. Now we go to the, the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. We had a rocky start, a, a slow start. And then again, you know, James Conner really didn't have too much of a, of a rushing game. And right now, I don't think Big Ben really cares about a rushing game right now. If you look at how the Green Bay Packers started off and they started off passing in the snow, I think that's just what Big Ben just thinks, period, about that offense. They just going to pass the ball. And if they need a running game, hopefully they can get a couple of yards to get them a first down, but they're not going to rely on that running game. Deontay Johnson, what stood out in my mind was him sitting out in the second quarter of that Buffalo game, and I saw the offense. I say, dang, now I, see, now I see why Big Ben looks and targets this man 10 to 13 times a game. Uh, without Deontay Johnson in that offense, it's just offense. You know, you put Deontay Johnson in on that offense, okay, there go the elusiveness. There go a guy being explosive. There go if he just can get it in his hands, ain't no telling what he going to do. And you saw that, and you saw the spark in the third quarter on Sunday. I don't know what Big Ben figured out in the second half. And maybe credit Mike Tomlin with the second half coaching decisions. First half, Big Ben, 11 of 20, 100 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Second half, 23 of 29, 242 yards, three touchdowns. It's a night and day difference. It's a night and day difference between the first half and the second half. This is the portion of the program, Mike, where if the listeners don't want to hear this, they can tune out. But... This is the portion of the program where it is a TJ Watt 
and Mike Hilton appreciation show. TJ Watt, the first Steelers player in history with 14 plus sacks in multiple That's seasons. Crazy. That's crazy. He has more sacks. He has 15 sacks this year than the entire Tennessee Titans roster. And Mike Hilton, you're talking about a guy you mentioned the clinching interception. He also had the fumble recovery forced by TJ Watt that set up James Connors touchdown. The first that the Steelers scored. I found a stat about Mike Hilton Ike, that I thought was pretty interesting. He joined some pretty good company Steelers defensive backs with three plus sacks and three plus interceptions in a single season since 1982 Carnell Lake, Rod Woodson, Deshae Townsend, Mike Hilton. So pretty strong company for him to be in. And there's a reason why I've advocated for him to be in the Pro Bowl. He has been a playmaker for the Steelers defense. And you saw that on display yet again on Sunday against Indianapolis. Yeah, little Mike. And we, we see the game plan. And if you watch the Colts and the Steelers game plan, even Phillip Rivers saw the game plan. Phillip Rivers, when he saw Mike on the line, he passed the ball because he thought it was blitzing. So wherever Mike was coming from, he passed it right where Mike was coming from. If you saw Mike Hilton off the line, he ran the ball. And that was just a game plan. So I guess in the second half, Coach T switched it up. You know what I'm saying? Coach T let somebody else come on the line, blitz, or, or go back in coverage. But it was a good game between cat and mouse between those two. You know, uh, the defense coordinator and Coach Keith Butts and, and Phil Rose. But that's just the impact. Mike Hilton has like we talk about a lot of guys in the Pittsburgh Steelers defense they got a lot of good guys in that defense man they got a few pro bowlers but when you want to talk about if you're trying to cook a pancake man you, you need that one ingredient you know and that's that good dough and that's Mike Hilton Mike Hilton has been that main ingredient they've been balling without Mike Hilton but Mike Hilton really is the piece to that puzzle for that Pittsburgh Steelers not only defense it's just a little attitude he brings, you know what I'm saying? A little feisty, little mighty Mike, little mighty mouse kind of attitude that Mike Hill bring to the table. So that's what I like about Mike. I remember Mike as a rookie and I was arguing, I was arguing with the scouts. I, I was interning for the scouts. I was arguing with the scouts. Like they was looking at his size. I say, man, you don't see he's just a football player. Like you don't see he just getting into it with everybody, regardless on the size. You don't see he just making plays in training camp. That's certifying, letting you know, like, this man really is balling consistently. They wind up putting Mike Hilton in and look at Mike, <laughs> and look at Mike Hilton. He's been coming up clutch. But, yeah, man, that's, he didn't make the Pro Bowl. And sometimes, you know, it's a popularity contest, and I get it and all that. He did miss a few games. But you want to talk about one of the attitudes, toughness. He's just a stiller. Mike Hilton is just a stiller, and I truly believe that. Yeah, so, I, like I said, the Believe in Steelers podcast is a Mike Hilton fan show at this point just because no the way that. that he's played in the nickelback position he's been a key difference maker for this defense i want to get into the instagram question and jackson r corb wrote us do you think that the steelers are reborn after the second half versus the colts potentially back to a contender and ike i want to start with this you mentioned off the top the struggles of the running game 14 rushes for 20 yards rushing and all the pressure falls on big Ben. There's times he can play at a really high level like he did in the second half and prove why he's going to be a hall of fame player. But I know that the Colts have a really good defense, but 20 rushing yards is something we've seen game and game and game. Again, Pittsburgh has won three games this season with fewer than 50 yards rushing. And that's tied for the most such games in a season since 1950, Steelers are on pace to set 
the fewest total rushing yards in franchise history this year. And it's one of those things where once they get into the playoffs, I really question how effective this offense can be without any kind of running game. And I really want to break down when the Steelers were down 24 to seven, Ike, and they're trying to punch it in, in the red zone to score. And they ran five plays from at least the four yard line and fullback Derek Watt is on the sideline for all of them. I understand you want to spread things out, let big Ben do his thing, but why is Derek Watt on this roster if you're not going to utilize him in a goal line package to try to run the ball and run the ball into the end zone? Because that's, and, and it's the line of scrimmage. And if you want to go back to that fourth and one conversion early on in the game where Steelers running back gets stuffed, the Steelers really struggle at a line of scrimmage standpoint from the offensive line. And I don't see how this is something that they get right in the coming weeks. I know they've had injuries on the offensive line, but it is a cause for concern for me in the Steelers with the postseason right around the corner. So you, you can look at it like this in two ways. And they're not a rushing team. And they won't run the ball. And the OC, Randy, he's came from a running system. I don't think seven just seven just wants to throw the ball. That's just my personal opinion. D'Angelo Williams, and I forgot the other running back Coach Randy had at Memphis when he was the offensive coordinator at Memphis. And ever since I've known Coach Randy, he's been a big advocate on running the ball. That's how he likes to establish his offense. I think seven is just trumping them, period. People can say what they want to say. I think seven is trumping them, and they're looking at a what? a 12 and three record right now. And I think coach Randy, like seven been doing this for a long time. There's not really too much I'm going to say. And seven feels like how I feel. The strong point to that, to that Pittsburgh still offense is the receiving core. But what I did find out is the same way a running game that can open up a passing game. I look at the short passing game, like a running game, but the only way it'll work if you complete a few deep balls. That's the only way you're going to get an offensive coordinator to be like, you know what, I'm going to soften up this coverage a little bit on these short, quick passes, a.k.a. run game, because they're having success on the deep balls. If you looked at the Buffalo Bills game, they had no success on the deep balls. So what the Buffalo Bills defense did, they wind up, they press man, and they dared them to throw the short passes. And when they threw the short passes, the Buffalo Bills defense made plays. Fast forward, you look at the Colts. Pittsburgh still a wide receivers, wind up hitting a few deep balls, coming up in the clutch. What that forces a defense coordinator to do, forcing them to soften up. So now your quick screens, now your slants come into play. Now your guys who you want to get the ball in their hands ASAP, now they can make plays. And that's going to be the only success to the Pittsburgh still offense moving forward. If they can't complete or at least attempt at least two deep balls per quarter, that will at least, in a defensive coordinator's mind, get them to soften up because you don't want to get into an argument with the head coach on why in the hell somebody keeps getting behind your secondary. Ike, our guy Donnie Druin with Sports Illustrated put out a tweet yesterday that I found pretty intriguing. And he put out the rushing touchdown distance for each rushing touchdown this season. Steelers' longest rushing touchdown this year is 12 yards. So you mentioned the deep ball. 
I wish you had a game breaker in the backfield. I know you and some of your former teammates have put this out on Twitter a little bit, but I wish they had someone where you could hand the ball off to or pitch it out to them on a sweep who could go the distance out of the running back position. And that's something that the Steelers just don't have on this roster right now, whether it's a running back problem or if it's an offensive line problem. But again, the longest rushing touchdown the Steelers have this season is 12 yards. That's crazy. I'm telling you, is the muscle memory for the offensive lineman right now is pass set. Pittsburgh really haven't asked their offensive line to put their weight on a defensive line slash linebackers. And that's all in the rhythm. You know what I'm saying? Like running backs getting the rhythm, like Derrick Henry getting the rhythm, Dalvin Cook getting the rhythm. And they're only getting the rhythm because the flow of the offensive lineman. Alvin Kamara, he gets in the rhythm. And he only getting the rhythm because of the offensive lineman, because the offensive lineman getting the rhythm. They start having their feet and they pass sets. They start climbing up to the linebackers, sometimes to the secondary guys. So right now the Pittsburgh offensive line, they would never get in the rhythm because Ben or Randy ain't asking the offensive line to run the ball 30 times a game. I guarantee you, if you just run the ball 30 times a game, I wish Pittsburgh for one game, just say, you know what, our goal is to run the ball 30 times a game. And just watch how much the offensive line and these running backs get in the rhythm. But right now, they just in the pass set offense, and all the offensive linemen ain't doing nothing but kicking back. So it's, and I think their muscle memory been like that this whole year, if you actually think about it. So yeah, it's tough. 12, 12 yards is the longest touchdown by a running back. It's, it's crazy, and I get it, but I'm not going to blame the running backs, and I'm not going to blame the offensive line. Seven and Randy got to come to some sort of agreement and be like, man, we really do need a running game to get what we want to get, or unless they feel like they short passing game is their running game. And in order to do that, they got to throw the ball deep. 49 pass attempts for the Steelers on Sunday and only 14 total rushes. So, Ike, you talk about muscle memory. If you're passing the ball three times more than you are running the ball, there you go. That's all you need to know about muscle memory. And I look at something like time of possession, which was not a factor yesterday, but the Colts actually won that. And they had the ball for more than 32 minutes in this one. So not a huge discrepancy there, but that is a concern of ours too, in the sense that if the offense isn't moving the ball and they're not chewing up any clock, you're putting the defense in a bad position and playing non-complimentary football. And so I hear what you're saying there. So thank you to Jackson R. Corb for that question. I, we always love to hear from listeners to add some insight into the show but Ike Steelers have a week 17 matchup on the road against Cleveland and the Browns open as a seven and a half point favorite. One of the things I wanted to ask you about this morning, Ike, and it's kind of a two part question is will the Steelers play their starters in week 17, but maybe more importantly, should they play their starters in week 17 against the Browns? I think they should, you know, I think they should at least, at least start off with the starters. You know, I'm always a big fan on just, I've never been a fan on sitting anybody, whether it's for a half or the first quarter. Just go ahead and play your starters. This game really doesn't matter. But why not pour, pour dirt on somebody when they're down? And I'm talking about Cleveland. You know what I'm saying? They just don't, don't even – yeah, they, 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 they smell it in the kitchen cooking. Don't even let them taste a playoff game. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So go ahead and leave the starters in the whole game. Go ahead and smash them and let them just keep smelling the kitchen. Let them not ever have that taste 
in their mouth. If I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, but ain't no telling what uh what Coach Till do. And right now, if you really want to try something, try to establish in the run game. Like it, it, this the game, this the game I'm gonna try to establish because you know Cleveland Browns really not that good against the run anyway. So I might as well try to establish something a game before the playoff game, and that's the run game right now against the Cleveland Browns. Yes, and so the Browns desperately need a win at 10-5. and five. It's funny because the Steelers helped the Browns, actually, with the win over the Colts yesterday. Had the Browns beat the Jets yesterday, they would be in the playoffs. But right now, at the time of this recording, Ike, they are the seventh seed in the AFC. And so if they win, they're in. But uh, let me run you through the Browns playoff scenarios really quickly. And you're talking about a Cleveland team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2002. So, Ike, we always say this. This was the year before you got into the league. It's been a while since the Browns were last in the playoffs. Who was the quarterback? Was it Tim Couch? Was Tim Couch the quarterback? Kelly Holcomb started the playoff game. I don't know if he came in to relieve uh, Couch because of an injury, but Holcomb started the playoff game against the Steelers in that January 2003 playoff game in the 2002 season. But the Browns can clinch a playoff berth next weekend with a win over the Steelers in week 17 or a Colts loss. Now the Colts play the Jaguars in week 17, so I would not expect the Jaguars to upset the Colts. The Browns could also get in if the Titans lose their final game and then they need a couple of other games to go their way as well if the Browns are to lose against the Steelers. And so with Cleveland, you're talking about a Browns team where at 10 and six, like in the 2007 season, you could see a 10 and six team be outside of the playoffs, which is especially surprising. I considering the expanded playoff format in this season where seven teams per conference get in, but it's like you said, the Steelers, if they win this game on Sunday against Cleveland, the Browns would only have about a 20% chance to make the playoffs. They would need several things to go their way instead of, you know, if you win, you're in, you control your own destiny. But I found it so fascinating yesterday afternoon. I, I was flipping between games and I had such anxiety because the Steelers had a huge deficit. The Browns had a huge deficit. But once the Steelers won, if the Browns had taken care of business against the Jets yesterday, they would have been in. Now, the Browns had their top four receivers out with COVID, starting middle linebacker out with COVID uh, or COVID contract tracing. And their top five receivers, if you want to count OBJ, he's been out. So I'd certainly expect the Browns to get a lot of the players back who were out this past week. But, man, not to be able to beat the Jets and – Maybe this Jets team isn't as bad as maybe we think that the Jags actually are because the Jags win the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Now, remember, this is a Jets team that should actually have three wins, if not for the Hail Mary that the Raiders had several weeks back. So maybe the Jets are better than we thought. Get rid of their coach. That's (laughs) how I feel about the Jets. I mean, that's plain and simple. Like, get rid of their head coach, man. there's, There's enough talent on that Jets team. Obviously, the head coach is the problem. And I'm going to leave that like that. But, yeah, the Cleveland Browns, if I'm Pittsburgh, y'all can smell what I'm cooking in the kitchen, but I ain't about to let y'all taste nothing. And that's just how it is. I'm going to let y'all – I'm going to kick you while you're down. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. It's a professional business. I'm not in it to make nobody happy. I get paid by the wins. I don't want to take no L's. So I'm going to go ahead and kick y'all while y'all down. And hopefully y'all can keep sniffing this gumbo in the kitchen, but y'all never can get a bowl of (laughs) it. 
So I, I have a theory. If you're not either a psychic, you might be a time traveler because if the Steelers do win in week 17, they finish with the 13 and three record. You predicted that the Steelers would win their final two games of the regular season last week. And in the preseason, you predicted that the Steelers would go 13 and three. They're sitting at 12 and three headed into the final week of the year. So if not psychic, maybe time traveler to where you can travel through time to predict the future. Like I say, from the beginning of the year, the reason why I thought they was going 13 and three, um, I saw them go eight and eight with the four string quarterback. And I saw how the defense held it down for the majority of the part. So I said, been at least good for five or six games. And Ben has been good for five or six games. So there you have it. They really haven't asked Big Ben other than this game and probably two more other games to win a ball game for them. They meaning the defense. So the defense really just been, they really just been balling since the beginning of last year, all the way down to the end of this year with a lot of key guys down, Devin Bush, Spillane, Bud Dupree. Like we talking about some Pro Bowl caliber guys who have been playing on that defense even Joe Hayden missed a couple of games due to concussion protocol. So we're talking about a lot of guys who really haven't been playing, starters who really haven't been playing. One, either out for the year. Two, they either in and out the lineup because of injuries. And look with the defense and look at the situation they got them in. They got them in a, a damn good situation. So that's what I was looking at, Marky Mark. I was looking at, man, if this defense can just play a little bit how they played last year. Seven good. Eight and eight last year with a four-string quarterback. Oh, yeah, seven good for at least five or six games. Easily. And so headed into week 17, the playoffs are getting the, – the playoff picture starting to take shape. Ike, I know that the Chiefs got the top seed in the AFC, and normally home field advantage at Arrowhead would be a huge advantage. You haven't been as bullish on the Chiefs as some have, and I know you're looking forward to – that Miami-Buffalo matchup in Week 17. The Bills at home open as a four-point favorite. I wanted to talk to you some about kind of the dueling banjos routine that the Miami Dolphins have at quarterback. I know Tua has been the starter, and he's going to be the starter in Week 17, but they've brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick almost as a relief pitcher, and Fitzmagic led the Dolphins back against the Raiders and eliminated the Raiders from the postseason. But I'm going to say, I don't think that's sustainable this late in the season, not to have an offensive identity to say, this is the guy at quarterback. I can't recall a time where that's worked to say, Hey, it's not working. We're going to bring in our sixth man off the bench at quarterback to be able to provide relief the way that the Dolphins did this late in the season. It's not to take away from the coaching job that Brian Flores has done in Miami, but I think long-term big picture this season, it kind of puts a limit to how far they could go in the postseason. The reason why I think it doesn't put a limit to them because Coach Brian Flores have probably one of the best special teams and probably one, best, one of the best defenses in the NFL. So that's why it doesn't limit them. On another note, Mark, it's an understanding. And what I mean by the understanding is it's, it's a good understanding. And the two guys who got to go in and out have a great relationship. And that's hard because egos can be, egos are heavy at that level because you always, one, you always want to play. Two, you just want to show how down, dominant you are. And that's just becoming an alpha. And you to play that sport, you have to be an alpha or you have to have an alpha mentality. For Tua and Fitzmagic, 
to understand what's going on and to accept. Them, them two are accepted. At, at first, when they made the transition and said to it was going to be the be the starter, I felt like Ryan. It, it was hard for me to accept that because I'm looking at it like, man, what I did wrong. <laughs> like we're on a three-game winning streak. So what's going on? But for, for Coach Brian Flores to, I guess, sat him down to talk to him, understand the relationship those two have, like you see the you you see the spark. And that's all Fitz Magic, if you think about it, has ever been. He's been a spark. Now you ask Fitz Magic to lead you to a playoff game or to get you past eight games, that's just in his resume. That's something he's never done. Now you ask him to come off the bench, like you say, like a, a closer or a six man, which I think he's the best six man of the year. And there goes the spark and there goes the change up. So now as a defense coordinator, it's like, dang, I've really been coaching. I've been coaching my defense this whole time to keep touring the pocket and hopefully he don't get around and make plays with his legs. He gonna make a few plays with his arms, but right now, mostly he's making plays with his legs. And now you got a guy in Ryan Fitzpatrick, that's what he does. He sits in the pocket and he make plays from the neck up. So he's going to find the open receiver. And that's what he came in and did against the Raiders. So now when you do, when you do play the Miami Dolphins, you got to have two game plans. You got to have a game plan for Tour. You got to have a game plan for Ryan, for Ryan uh, Fitzpatrick. And that's hard. That's hard. One, as a defensive coordinator, that's hard. One, on the defense, because now your mind got to change up. Okay, now we got a running quarterback. Okay, now we got a quarterback who can sit in the pocket and throw the ball. Now that's changing up my coverages. Now that's changed up my defense alignment. So that's just what it is. So I do think it can work. Well, there's two reasons why I think it can work. One, they got a, a fire, a fire-ass defense. Two, between Tua and Fitz, Fitzpatrick, them boys have an understanding between each other. Not saying they like it. They just got a good understanding. Fitzpatrick comes in, and Fitzpatrick comes in and is the difference. Now, a key with Fitzpatrick, too, he's more of a passing quarterback. He's also a lot more likely to throw an interception as well. The analogy I'd kind of make, six men off the bench, you mentioned how he's the spark, Ike, but to actually, okay, so you can light a fire, but to sustain a fire, you need fuel, you need to make sure you've gathered all of your logs and everything. It can't just be just the spark because the spark's going to go out pretty quickly. I just think this late in the season with quarterback play, and we know how important that that is in the playoffs. A lot of times you can look at if you don't know anything about the sport and you can see which quarterbacks are facing off a lot of times, this isn't, this isn't a hard fast rule, but a lot of times the team with the better quarterback actually goes on to win the game. And, and so that's why it's just like, I don't know if Fitzpatrick should have been benched in the first place, but maybe the dolphins wanted to see what they had into a, I do think you have something there in that their styles of play are so different. It's also interesting to me that it's almost a role reversal for Tua with what he did at Alabama taking over for Jalen Hurts in the sense that he was the one coming off the bench replacing Jalen Hurts, and now he's the one being replaced by Ryan Fitzpatrick, almost a role reversal to what he had in college. Yeah, he ain't got to respect it. He just got to understand it. You know, right now, he's just limited. He has a ceiling right now. Tua has a ceiling on playing the quarterback. We're, they're, they're not asking Tua to win in the ball game. If they won the ball game one and they feel like it's tight, they're going to ask Fitzpatrick to win in the ball game. And as much as Tua probably don't like it, he just got to accept it. He's just not there right now. 
You know, I think he would have had 80 some yards total. Yeah, it was 93 through three quarters. And then Fitzmagic has 182 yards in the fourth quarter alone. There we go. That's what I'm saying. When you got a closer like that coming off the bench, man, he he, he coming in, he trying to throw some strikes. You know what I'm saying? He, he want that last shot. He want that last three with two seconds left. Give me the ball, coach. And, that, and that's just his attitude. It, it fits what we don't like or what we're not used to seeing. It fits them perfect because that's, that's Fitzpatrick attitude. If you see him at press conferences, if you see his style, if you see the way he talk, if you see the way he dress, like he's just a confident, swaggoo kind of guy. Coach, give me the ball. Watch me make this shot. Or coach, give me the ball. Watch me cook these boys up in the fourth quarter. That's just him, bro. So <laughs> that's what you got to love about why I think this might work all over Fitzpatrick attitude and this wagoo-ness. When Fitzmagic came about it in Tampa, when he was filling in for Jameis and he comes into the news conference wearing a leather jacket and aviators, okay. it was just like, is this guy an NFL quarterback or just like a rock star or a Beatle? He it was both. unbelievable. He both. Like, whatever. He, <laughs> he got his own love style. And you can tell he's just a very confident person. Why not have him come off the bench and he think in the fourth quarter it's backyard football and for him just to embrace the, the moment and smoke a defense right quick to win the ball game. Like, y'all know y'all, but I can see I can see him coming off the bench now, talking smack to the defense. Like, y'all really about to let this old head come off the bench <laughs> and throw for two touchdowns in the fourth quarter? Watch me. <laughs> I, can, I can see that coming out of his mouth right now, but that's just him. He always been like that. So other than Buffalo, Ike, who else do you like in the AFC? You always, we talk off the pot all the time and you think that the Chiefs are on, and I'm using your words here, are on borrowed time. But who else do you like in the AFC other than Buffalo? I'm, I'm just, right now, the most dominant team is Buffalo. The most dominant team okay. right now is Buffalo. And the reason why I like Buffalo is because of Josh Allen. And... They got a nice little running game if they need one, and they got three receivers if they need to throw it. And we all see what their defense do in the second half. They shut you down. And the attitude and the personality and the growth and the maturity that we've seen over the course of years with Josh Allen, not only as a young man, but just passing-wise. You know, these past three years, man, he's been added at least 30 yards to his passing game under Coach Sean McDermott. So that's a good thing. That's and that's what we always talk about, too, on this show is having a good coach, the right coach. You know, the Sean McVeigh, the Sean McDermott, the Coach T's, you know, the Andy Reeds. You know, these these guys are some, some good coaches just in general. They know how to coach. And that's what I like about Josh Allen and company, what they got with the Buffalo Bills. People forgot. And don't nobody – it's like Ricky Bobby. If you ain't first, you're last. Don't nobody care about a second place. You know, when them boys was running – when them boys was winning in Buffalo, when they've been to four Super Bowls, but lost all four of them, they still had something popping. And um, I think if it's one one person who can change, that is it's Josh Allen. But the reason why I feel like KC is on borrowed time, man, KC can only be KC in KC with that audience. When that audience is there in KC, it's a whole different world. When you playing – at Arrowhead, and that thing is jam-packed. And even though it's not a big stadium, I don't know what it is. They got the crowd three feet 
away from the place. <laughs> so you hearing, you feeling, you smelling everything. Like everything is just right on top of you. So as a player, you like, hey, bro, you, you turn the back, like, bro, can I breathe? And they like, hell no, <laughs> hell no. So it's just something different about Arrowhead Stadium when everybody's in there. Now that really nobody's in there, it's just like, hey, man, we meet somewhere at the park and we're going to play this ball game. So that's why I'm saying KC is on borrowed time because even though they will have this first week by, it's not the same era here without them fans, man. It's really not. Shake and bake, Ike. Shake and bake with the Ricky Bobby quote. But yes, sir. what I would say Arrowhead is like, if you took a college atmosphere and a college crowd full of just raucous fans going absolutely nuts with college kids, but put that in an NFL stadium, that's Arrowhead. That to me so is you Arrowhead. Drop. You drop Arrowhead, what holds like? I got you. Hang on. We're going to put IT on this right now. Give me just a okay. second. 76,416 fans fit at Arrowhead. That's a lot of people. That, that is a lot of people. But if you look at Death Valley, the LSU Tigers, I think they hold like 120,000, something like that. That's how Arrowhead sounds with the 76,000. Like, that's how... <laughs> That's how crazy them people get in Arrowhead. And it's, I'm, I'm telling you, bro, they built Arrowhead to where all the noise comes down on the field. That's what I think the difference maker going to be between, you know, KC. KC really haven't been showing me that they can dominate. They've been just getting by with a few games. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, they got a, a nice little record. What, 14-1 right now? Them boys 14-1, but it's been a tough 14-1. You know what I'm saying? They've been finding ways to lock down Tyreek Hardman. The only person who really been smoking is that goddamn tight end, Travis Kelsey. <laughs> you know, he, he missed the consistent, missed the lead the lead in, in receiving yards as a tight end. But other than that, though, even Patrick Mahomes, he hasn't been playing too well of late. So we will see. I just don't. I think if Buffalo played them boys, Buffalo got a chance, a great chance against them. You're right about Arrowhead in the sense that it is the 27th largest stadium in the United States and the sixth largest in the NFL. But I know that Kansas City and the Seattle Seahawks Stadium, I believe it's Lumen Field now. It used to be CenturyLink. Mm -hmm. Right. They always go back and forth for the record for what the loudest stadium Whoa. is. And so, like you it's said, loud. Ike, it's not even a factor now just because of the pandemic. If there are fans there, it's nowhere near capacity of what it would be come the postseason. Man, I didn't play in Dallas, the new Dallas stadium, and Dallas probably holds total capacity. Uh, and that was for the Super Bowl. They was probably looking at 120. They was breaking all kinds of rules for the Super Bowl. I'm talking about they had seats all by the toilet, <laughs> by the restrooms <laughs> in Dallas, for, for real. And that was like 120, <laughs> for that Super Bowl, man. And not even close, not even close of being loud, louder than Arrowhead. It's just something about Arrowhead, man. Arrowhead is a loud-ass stadium, bro. I hear you. I still think that the Chiefs are going to be repeat Super Bowl champions until someone can knock them off. And I just think with that offense – it's not only just the offense, but the way that the offense can come back from any kind of deficit, their best defense is their offense, but we'll see as we get closer and closer to the playoffs, but the chiefs will have the buy 
and home field advantage, whatever kind of advantage that is throughout the duration of the playoffs as the one seed in the AFC. Ike, as we start to wrap up here on the Believe in Steelers podcast, is there anything else that you would like to discuss, whether it's Steelers related, NFL related, life, what have you, but the floor is yours. Oh, man. Go ahead and start something new for 2021. Uh, 2020, what a year, right? Pandemic, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of people just finding out who they are as a person, whether it's good or bad. For the most part, hopefully it's good, but go ahead and let 2021, man. Let 2021 be a good year for everybody, for everybody. But understand it starts with you and it starts with your mind. So let your mindset always be positive, please. That's that's the strongest muscle you can have is the mind. So whatever you want to put your mind to, man, just go ahead and do it 100%. I want to appreciate uh, Bet Online for sponsoring Mark and I Believe podcast for giving us a chance to all our viewers and listeners. I want to appreciate y'all for just tuning in. Things going to get popping in 2021. I'm telling y'all. So just keep tuning in. Thanks again for supporting Mark and I. I'm going to piggyback off that, Ike. And everyone always has a New Year's resolution, right? Build the habits. Don't make resolutions. So we've been doing this show now on a weekly basis for about a year and a half now. So if there's something that you really want to do or really want to accomplish, Chip away at it each and every day, a little bit at a time, but build habits. No one follows a New Year's resolution. You're going to break it come February or March anyways. Start to build habits. So I'd encourage the listeners to continue to like and subscribe to our show. I love to hear feedback from listeners. So go on and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read that here on the Believe in Steelers podcast. Ike, it is always a pleasure to do the show with you. Appreciate the folks over at the Believe Podcast Network and at betonline.ag, our sponsors from day one. But Ike, another week in the books. It's nice to be back on Victory Monday after a three-game losing streak. And the Steelers going up against the Browns in week 17. We'll see what they can do entering week 17 as an underdog. Can't wait to watch that matchup between two AFC North foes. Foes, not rivals, Ike. Notice how I did that there. Foes. I like it. You snuck that in. I like it. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We will see you next week. Take care and so long, everyone. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.